Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Redbeard Radio. I am your host, Alana Dickman. We are here for another week, episode three, and I'm so excited because we have Mitchell, who is our analyst at Redbeard Ventures. Then we also have the guest host, Michael Gold. And Michael is a serial entrepreneur with really just a wealth of experience in cutting edge technologies such as social networks, VR, AR, the metaverse, you name it. Michael probably knows something about it. So I'm so excited to have you on today. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm great. Super, super happy to be here, Alana. Great to, great to be on. Yeah, and I'm super excited to have you too. I know you're also a serial entrepreneur. You've built a company in the past that ended up being acquired. So I just love if we could start off and would love to have a background about yourself and where you came from. All right. So yeah, I've been in tech for a long, a long time. Uh, started as a software developer in the 90s for an enterprise software company and while I was in college and kind of saw that go through the whole whole dot-com bubble bursting I got out uh, got out of college in 2001 and got a job there after after my internships and watched as as they basically bought back bought back uh, the company from public to private and started laying everybody off and use that as my opportunity to rounds of layoffs to do my first my first startup which was um in the in the in the music space music and entertainment space and that startup uh taught like doing that startup in the early 2000s i kind of learned how to leverage open source software and, and host host uh, database backed uh sites online and got really into consulting around that. It taught me what I needed to do to, to learn to be an outsourced uh, CTO. And I ended up doing a lot of work with uh, the, the creative agencies in New York City um, and did a number of startups in the music tech space in the, in the 2000s. And then like did a, did a um, social local mobile startup in, in 2010 called Clubster, which built... Um, communication software uh, for private clubs like country clubs, yacht clubs, um, city clubs, that type of thing. And we were able to capitalize on our on, on search engine optimization. We hung in there for about seven years and ended up selling it to uh, private equity. Someone wanted to do a roll-up of the niche and we were the top performer in that niche. Like they say, the riches are in the niches. And um, then went in-house to, uh, was looking for what's next, thought uh, VR and AR would be the thing. Went into NYU as an EIR, helped them spin off uh, a, lot of, a lot of really um, interesting tech from the research lab there, uh, focused on um, mixed reality, multiple people in the same space at the same time, um, procedural avatars. Uh, leveraging um, AI in, in combination with procedural tech, worked with uh, the lab's um, sponsors like Facebook and Bose to help them go to market with this type of technology and really, really worked with such a talented group at this lab that's now, um, now, in, now in industry, um, in R&D and product, working on bringing all these amazing things that are just making it to the game space today. So did that for a number of years, then got got into um, making creator tools for Web3 and now working on uh, some new stuff in the AI game space that hopefully we get to chat about today. But yeah. just love building open source software and, uh, and, and helping people make creator tools. It's kind of 20 year history in 30 seconds, hopefully. No, that's awesome. And also those for listening, Drew will be in in about 10 minutes. He missed his train by one minute. So we're starting off without him, but stoked to have Michael on and Mitchell too. So I really want to jump into gaming and how AI is going to affect that because I think it's so important. And at Redbeard, I think we're seeing a ton of companies help build characters utilizing AI for gaming, help like create your own worlds by using AI. So I guess like I'll throw it over, Michael, to you to start, because I know you were recently on a panel that really discussed how AI is going to affect gaming. So curious to know what were the main conversation topics about how AI is going to affect gaming? Yeah, so so there's 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 two 
there's two main areas where it, it is now currently and will affect uh, games in the future. So one is on the creation side when you're when you're creating the game, and we've seen this across across uh, technology and products like just for just for the, the concepting and the pre-visualization for just about anything. Uh, generative models can help teams get alignment in those early stages and speed things up. The second is on the is on the on the playability side. Like we've seen um, we've seen technologies like like move.ai and and Plask uh, that do um, real-time motion capture help help creators get mocapped animated content into the game in the future. We can expect that tracking your your content in the game for for playability will give you uh, greater 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 ways to interact with characters inside of games as well. Um, and then then there's the whole whole um, generative uh, content in games like it's getting faster. It's getting like the the stages of AI generally speaking are first you get something that works, then the quality gets improved in a follow up paper. And then it gets fast in the in the the, the future follow-up papers. So we don't have uh, thirty frames a second stable diffusion yet in games, but mm -hmm. that that type of generative content that has the speed um, will come uh, will come pretty soon in games. And yeah, I mean then then there's then there's the whole aspect of. Um, how do you enhance non-player characters in games? Like, how do you have a conversation um, that can take into account, um, you know, maybe your real-life uh, social networking things? Like, I talk about the Mets all the time on social media. So, like, if you, if it takes into account the Mets score, you can imagine in a in a in a in a Grand Theft Auto type game, and like somebody somebody mentions the Mets to me and like, you know, like says they, they love the Mets and like as an NPC, we start a conversation about it. Like that's, that's coming down the pike. Yeah, it's so funny because right before this call, me and Mitchell were actually talking about NPCs and the effect they're going to have. So Mitchell, I'm going to throw it over to you. Like in your world one day, like what do you see the effects of NPCs having on the gaming ecosystem? I mean, we've only been seeing NPCs get better and better. I mean, you know, back in the past, the, the the best NPC, you know, you'd read in like PlayStation magazine in like 2003, they'd be bragging about, oh, look, NPCs can walk around you now or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, or they'll like uh, their eyes will follow you in like an old, an old, uh, uh, you know, Skyrim, like people make memes about the NPCs in Skyrim now. But I mean, Michael's right. Someday, I guess the, the ultimate goal is, you know, you're playing Grand Theft Auto or you're playing whatever, and you can talk to anybody and learn about their life, make a relationship, they'll remember you. Uh, I mean, now the best we have, you know, without AI are things like, uh, you know, I believe Red Dead Redemption 2, you can watch somebody throughout their whole day, go home, talk to their family, go to the bar, go to work. And, you know, you can interrupt that. And then, you know, the, the next day, they might not do that if you, you know, I guess, shoot them. But, uh, but yeah, it, we're eventually going to see NPCs be, you know, you know just as important as the player characters and that you have this infinite reality to, to do things in, not relegated to just a, you know, a conversation tree. Like, you know, you have these three choices within you end up with, you know, one or two different outcomes. We're going to see yeah. an extremely complex version of that in the future soon, I think. Yeah. And I just want to take it for one second for, to venture as a whole. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the recent article, but the past three months, ChatGBT's users have basically been declining the amount of usage it's having. And so we hear about this as like, we obviously had the Web3 bubble where a lot of NFT projects, the NFT boom, and then you're hearing about the AI bubble. And I was reading about this. I'm like, yes, obviously you don't have those smaller people probably going in typing and asking random questions. But I mean, I still use ChatGBT on all the time and I just think we're going to continue to see use cases behind AI but I want to throw it over to you guys like where do you, do you guys think we're in this bubble of AI and where do you think AI is heading because I think right now it's a lot of companies are just naturally integrating it but it's not necessarily these AI companies that are necessarily it's just going to be more part of their kind of workforce and their offerings. Mm. So, so I'll, I'll jump in and go first. Um, 
the the interesting thing to think about there is the locally running models, the open source models that you can run on your own machines or that companies can set up internally to use with their own data um, are getting really good. Like Fal mm -hmm. Falcon is is really good. That's a free model from the UAE. Um, Llama 2 is really good. Uh, so as these models get better and better, like think about this. Um, Stable Diffusion launched and its competitors were Midjourney and Dolly, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about Dolly anymore. Dolly was open source, open AI's uh, closed source uh, uh, image, image generation uh, model. Nobody talks about Dolly anymore. But so like, I'm not saying that's going to definitely happen with, with ChatGPT, but I think that some of the decline that we might be seeing might be, might be a shift to uh, the open source models. I'm very mm -hmm. bullish on open source. Mm. Yeah. Open open source is generally, I think, always better. Like this, that's how you see the, that's how AI progressed so well so quickly is just so many people working on it at one time. But mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like the decline in usage, I mean, probably similar to things like the dot com bubble, you have this huge pool of people jumping in all at once, and then maybe only like you know ten percent or five percent are people that you know they see they see it for what it is and they begin to utilize it in the way it's meant to be utilized like you know the idea of the dot com bubble is that I'll you know at least at the time not everyone needs a website for this not every business needs a website you know now they do but back then it was sort of uh, I don't, what would you say it's more uh, uh, cosmetic and mm -hmm. maybe we're coming at the end of the point where we're having AI integrated is cosmetic and now it's it's reaching this level of professionalism where it's uh, it's now functional and it's a smaller amount of people, but they're doing so much more. And I, I think that's what we're seeing with, with AI right now. Yeah. So and, I want to, Oh, go ahead, Michael. Oh, I was just going to say that the, um, the, the professional use cases for, for it are so great. Uh, the statistics coming out of Microsoft, I believe say that they ate 80% of, of developers now uh, in a survey that they conducted are using GitHub Copilot, which allows you to kind of get a good autocomplete when you code. I, I love it. Uh, I'll oh, yeah. use, I'll use GP, ChatGPT4 and GitHub Copilot to write almost all of my code and help. Uh, it just makes things so much faster and it's, it's enjoyable. So I, I think that we'll start to see even more of this and, and things plugging into open source models for that, that type of thing as well for coding. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. And that and models like that are a godsend to people like me who are trash at coding, but can use AI and, you know, stitch together what that makes. So it's it's also opening this. It's, uh, it's sort of opening the field to, you know, a greater amount of people. It's uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And how do you think AI is going to affect game development? Because I think as we're saying, like, that's going to be huge to be able to use AI to create your own world, create your own game that yeah. maybe yeah. not is as complex, obviously, if you know coding and could really just tailor things. But I think it's going to come to a day where you could say, hey, I want to create this scientific type world like Star Trek that has these characters that are NPCs like in the next 10 years, where do you really see game development going? Yes, yeah, so one of, um, one of the panelists that, that, that I was on with yesterday, uh, she's the CEO of Lovelace Studio and, and her, her, her project that she's making um, uses AI in combination with this parametric procedural uh, content to, to do world building. So like you can imagine um, more more complex versions of, of mine, Minecraft style wor worlds that are each unique and each generated with a with uh, different combinations of uh, values for parameters that um, generate really beautiful, cool looking three uh, uh, D worlds and, and and other content and characters and, and storylines in the worlds as well. But the cool thing about this and mixing and matching AI with parametric design is that it can you can you can do it in milliseconds it's really fast the ai is just picking values for parameters instead of saying oh we need to create this 3d content from scratch 
they're just like kind of filling in the blanks like Mad Lib style almost uh, to, to make some magic happen. Yeah. And Mitchell, we're seeing like a ton of companies every day. I know we have a couple of syndicate deals that are actively raising. They're actually creating characters to put into games. I was wondering if like there's anything right now you're seeing that really has excited you where you're seeing this technology that's just going to be transformative in the gaming space. Um, I mean, I think for the gaming space and especially for, I mean, honestly, big games that want to speed up their, you know, production and, smaller like indie titles that don't have the resources for it things like text to character text to environment text to honestly just chat gpt can write you the whole storyline of a video game if you want you know yeah. and i i think that's just more that's going to improve the uh it's going to improve the 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 game uh, economy as a whole there's been this uh and michael i'm sure you've seen it this uh, this sort of nascent growing indie gaming uh, community because now it's so much easier for people who are more artistically minded to not have to learn Blender and have to learn, you know, uh, all, all sorts of different coding languages and, and uh, different, like TypeScript and stuff like that. But, uh, and, and now we're seeing, we're seeing all, so much more great, uh, just, you know, like people say, video games are getting closer to becoming art than ever. And I think it's, I think it's tools like this that, that's, that's creating it. It just, it, it, it unlocks like, cause I, I teach, I teach artists technical skills at, at the school, at the school of visual arts. And, you know, a few years ago I was teaching them how to code things visually, like with, with blueprints where you don't need to memorize and learn all the syntax and semantics. But now with, with, with chat GPT tools and, and you know, like, like we, we've been talking about, it gives the artists like superpowers to be their own coder and get the, get the MVP of their games built. And like this extrapolates out. So like the industry uh, things that we were discussing at the conference yesterday is that even AAA companies that were there, they're like, we're doing things now with, with team of 50 where we used to need a team of 200 right mm -hmm. and so the the if, if you extrapolate that out the, the drama in in games twitter yesterday was that unity changed their their uh their fee structure yeah. to charge 20 cents per install for each and, and this will affect even indie studios it's like if you make more than two hundred thousand dollars you're subject to that um and a lot of people think it's because that Unity charges historically a per seat license, so mm -hmm. it's per developers on a game. And if you can make a game title with less developers now, well, then that's going to be a big hit for Unity's bottom line. Um, so that people are people on Twitter are saying that this is a reason why that fee structure has been been imposed because you can make a game with less developers. And I, I kind of I, I might buy into that uh, that theory. Yeah, that's super interesting. I actually hadn't heard of that. So I don't know. I think it's interesting to think about like where it's going and how like now really you as an individual could have so much effect on the game that you're playing. Um, somebody today mentioned Starfield's NPCs. So Michael, I'm not too sure if you're familiar with that and if you want to touch on that. Yeah, yeah sure. So um, when, when I was at, at, at the lab at NYU, we would have these conversations about like, what's the difference between something that's realistic, a character who's realistic and a character that's believable. And, um, you know, like this, this was like the start of our conversations about the, the, uh, the uncanny Valley. And, you know, like one extreme, you have Bugs Bunny, not a realistic looking rabbit at all, but with the stories that, that Bugs Bunny can, can enable, very believable very funny kind of like feel feel the soul of the of the of the character um and meanwhile you know like things like they try to go for hyper realism like if you recall from a few years ago that sonic the hedgehog movie that they had to completely oh, yeah. redo because because the characters were just too realistic and creepy um that that that's a prime example of the uncanny valley so i think one of the articles i read recently about starfield is that the uh the the character's eyes look dead inside and i think it's because they they went for a type of realism 
that the uh, the animation of the characters can't can't deliver, and like so, it's it's kind of like the design. You don't des- deliver of like on the the design fiction of the universe uh, mm-hmm. graphically. You kind of enter in that world. So I'm I'm a big believer in on stylized being you know for characters being the state of the art right now. If you look at like the Fortnite characters and how they kind of have that Pixarish quality to them, that's that's what I love. I love characters like that. I think the VTubers got it right. Like I go watch a VTuber and be entertained, and they're not very realistic at all. Yeah, Michael, let, let me let me ask you a question because I was because speaking of the like the future of the industry, judging by this acceleration, how soon are we going to be able to just say to something like ChatGPT, "Hey, make me a version of Grand Theft Auto set in the eighteen hundreds, uh, neo noir storyline, and have it written by Cormac McCarthy"? So I mean, like the 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 tokens that that uh that that the large language models can handle now like for input and output are still pretty small like so you can you can do like what i usually do with the uh with with with, with the ai's is one little script at a time i'll say like all right make me something in python that uses that uses this module that achieves this one little thing so you could you could in theory like go through and draft like a scene at a time uh, i think of a, of a game and maybe write like little helper functions for it where you get stuff and and kind of like the way i think of it it almost is like if if i was working with a junior in the industry i give it to the ai and say okay do this one little bite-sized task that that'll that should probably be like an hour of research and an hour of work and check in with me before lunch. That's kind of how I approach it. So like, when can you give it an assignment? That's like, like, you know, a year worth of work for a 30 person team. That's a big, you know, like that's like the, that's a big stretch. And like, you know, I guess the answer is, is we'll see. Um, It's probably not going to be at the point where you can ever run something like that locally on your machine, because I think that's, that's going to require, a farm of, of big yeah. GPUs to do it to do a task like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I, I like I like the I think the little things that you can do on your own on your own machine with these models are really excited exciting for for indie. So you know, like it it'll be interesting. I think you know, c- can we get to complete like AAA games like being made with with AI on the fly? That that'll be that'll be really exciting. I mean, like the big topic of 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 um, of my panel was like, can you have a game that's infinitely replayable? I think that's that's like the holy grail, right? And if you had AI like build add-ons for it, it certainly gets you there. Hey, Drew. Oh, look who it is. Mikey Gold, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? Good How to see you. Doing? Good to see you too, brother. How's everything? You out in, on the West Coast? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm in SF for one more day, fly back tonight. I'm at this, this really dope uh, co-working space here called Shack 15. They had a really, really amazing AI event two nights ago, and uh, our boy uh, Dave Matthews decided, I'm, I'm, "That's it, I'm pulling the trigger. I'm signing up as a member." There we go. So, there we go. Uh, has, has he recovered so from? Uh, has he recovered from Burning Man yet, Dave? He, I think he's he's like almost there into almost his recovery. There. He, yeah, he was he was uh, uh, like feeling the the Burning Man virus when I first got into town. So. I'll yeah. probably be bringing that back to me with to I New York. Yeah, I was just at uh today. I was at. Sorry, I'm late, everybody, but I was at uh Primary Ventures does their like big New York summit. So I I got over there for a little bit of the day, and then I just got back. But uh, it was great. It was like a reunion for VCs. I feel like after a oh, summer, nice. after a summer apart and uh, and not much conferences, I feel like every VC I've seen in New York was at this one event. So it was uh it was cool to see a lot of familiar faces. But I was listening. I was listening to the discussion, so I'm all caught up and ready to rock and roll. Yeah, I want to throw it over to one thing that kind of got me thinking about because I know, um, Michael, you did Hologram, which really did like was patented technologies for social AR and VR. I know that Drew used to do a Google Glass startup. So I want to think about like getting away from AI for two seconds before you have the blockade games. 
but I was a big like Pokemon Go person and I saw the future. I was the person who was walking around trying to collect them all, going into restaurants. Like I was all over New York at the time. And so how do you think like the future of AR is going to be and how does that relate to gaming as well? I'm bullish on the Vision Pro. I, I, I think that Apple's go-to-market is is pretty smart. The things that they're not talking about, the, the things that a lot of people aren't talking about is that, that I think are incredibly, incredibly smart is that every single iPad app is going to work out of the gate on the Vision Pro. And also you'll be able to mirror your screen to Mac OS uh, to the Vision Pro. So what that's what Apple's going to do, in my opinion, is they're going to encourage developers to make AR uh, add-ons to to the existing apps, and they say like your app is doing awesome on the Vision Pro. Here's how you can like make AR enablements to it, and then they'll feature those apps on the App Store. So I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a gradual process where things will start like popping out of of two 2D apps and be like kind of two and a half D um, in your living room. I think the, I think the living room is going to be the place for it um, for for now. And then, you know, like eventually I think people will be able to bring it outside. I, I love the outside stuff, but I think it's going to be the living room first. Mm -hmm. I love the outside stuff too. I think getting people out of the comfort of their home, really yeah. getting out into yeah. the world is super yeah. important. Uh, Drew, I'm going to throw it over to you too, because obviously you were in the Google Glass space. Like, what do you think about AR? Like, do you think you were obviously a little too early for its time back in the day, but what do you yeah. think about now? And do you see AI having effect on AR too? Well, I mean, of course, AI is going to have an effect on everything, but um, mm -hmm. I'm actually more of a, I've always been more of a VR than AR guy for some reason. I just, I find that VR is the most transportive technology I've ever experienced. Like for me, it's the closest thing we're getting to like, like travel, like to time, like not time, not time travel, but like, um, what's the word I'm thinking of here? Like uh, projecting. Yeah, just basically being able to be in two places at once. You know what I mean? Like, I've I've experienced some incredible things um, from in the last decade in VR. So, I personally am really excited about VR. I think it's it's a little bit it's a little, still a little of a foreign experience for people, but just the things that it can enable you to do and feel and how it how it impacts your mind and 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 how it almost brings you present to the to, to wherever the technology takes you. To me, that's mind blowing. Now, the other crazy thing about this and why I think AI is so important, this also lends itself to blockade and some of the discussion we'll have there is that, you know, creating these immersive VR worlds is not an easy task, which is why, you know, it's been, it's taken a lot of work and effort to build these VR environments over the years. And now with AI generated content and things like what Blockade's doing, it's, it, it enables us to build so many more incredible content experiences for VR and for these immersive worlds that um, I think it's going to accelerate everything that we want, that we've been hoping for in the VR space and, um, and in the AR space. So, you know, and I think, well, you know, this is kind of where I wanted to dig in a little bit blockade. Um, it's just really like, what are, what are, like, what are we seeing at the, at the, at the ground level in terms of like how, how gate worlds are being impacted and how content creation is being impacted um, in these gaming environments through AI. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's exciting. I think that AI and VR and AR are going to have a complete intersection, but I say that about a lot of things. I think AI, I'm, I'm already seeing AI impact enterprises. We're seeing AI impact consumer. We're seeing AI impact, um, you know, everything from screenwriting and movies and art. Um, you know, I know from, as a startup, as a, in startup world, like for me to be able to like talk to a designer and instead of just speaking to them about my concept in my head to see if they could do a mock-up for me, I can mock it up and show them my idea with more detail and then they can play around with it. The way I can communicate with product people and designers and engineers has like exponentially, um, exponentially uh, uh, transformed because of AI. So, I mean, we just did that with our logo for National Thoroughbred League. It's like we okay. said, hey, we want the horse to look whatever and we want it to be retro. And Drew's yeah. sending all of us the logo and what he thinks it should look like. Then the designer was able to go and take that and make it cleaner right. and better. So right. um, before we bring on uh, Blockade Games, I want to end it and kind of ask each of you, like in 10 years, if you were going to open up a game, 
what, where do you see the space? Is it going to be, you're going to type into it. You're going to be like, all right, create a world that's like, whatever the world that you want to be, the NPCs are going to be more interactive. Like, what do you think is going to be the biggest game changer with the game that you open up? I mean, I got, yeah, Mike, go first. So, so two things that I know people are already working on that I think will be mainstream. Yeah. Companies like Koki.ai um, that's doing uh, like clone your own voice models or open sourcing it. So I think like the founder of that company is predicting that only cutscenes will be pre-written in, in games in the future, which, which I think that's, that's, that's a pretty good prediction. And then, um, yeah, you've got companies like uh, Social AGI that's making open souls, like where the characters have like their own souls. So I think there'll be really deep, really rich interactions that you can both see in the characters. It's apparent in the scripts what they say, and then you can actually hear them say it. I think that's that's going to be sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I, and I'm, I'll, I'm going to answer, I'm going to uh, talk about two things. One, I see Matt's question. So I want to like, I want to touch on that for a second, which is uh, about the training and how does things stay proprietary? I think it's actually, there's a couple of parts to that discussion. One um, is that I actually think it's made it very difficult as a investor to identify real opportunities in the early stage startups, because there is, it is difficult to build a moat and build a barrier to entry around AI early on because everything's so open source. And then you have enterprise businesses that can drop AI and their, their own custom LLMs into an already built out customer base and audience and enable and, and immediately be able to accelerate adoption and utilization, et cetera. Um, now I'm also seeing, I'm also, we've also like been seeing companies that are coming in and specifically working with businesses and their specific data to train specific models and LLMs to build proprietary data models and proprietary AI models. So to me, that's where I think there's, I think there's going to be a lot of, I think that where we're going to see some unique um, and specific opportunities in the startup space are the companies that have unique data sets, have the ability to train those data sets and build out their own proprietary LLMs on their own proprietary data to give themselves a competitive advantage. And I think that's, uh, that's something I'm excited to see more of. We're seeing infrastructure around that. We're seeing companies that are, uh, that are approaching AI that way. And uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. In terms of like 10 years from now, you know, I'm going to give a quick shout out to Wilder World. Because um, Wilder World is to me uh, the mo one of the most ambitious companies I've seen um, since I've been an investor, and you know we are an investor in Wilder World. But I, um, their vision for an, 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 an immersive world where there is a token economy and there's opportunities to earn and to socialize and to communicate and to govern and to create businesses. It, it, to me, they're the closest. And like even their NPCs, they're training on AI so that when you interact with them, it's not pre-programmed like we've seen in video games before. Each person that interacts with an NPC will have a different interaction or a unique interaction. Um, and I think that's gonna change the landscape, the ability to go into these games and be able to build relationships with NPCs to have to have uh, to go on an adventure that's custom to your own, to be able to play a, a video game that's global, but be the one person that finds the ocarina of time instead of everybody finding the ocarina of time, but then being able to go and sell that on chain. Like these are the kind of things that I'm really excited about for gaming is like the ability to build economies in these worlds, the ability to see unique engagements because of the intelligence that's going to be going into them now and more and more, um, and then how we and then how we all interact with these ecosystems. Yeah. All right. So Mitchell, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. We're going to have you drop off and we have Adam Levine, Michael Gold. Don't worry, you're still staying on. Uh, but Adam's jumping in and so is Marguerite who made it. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Mike, you might have to go on mute when you're not talking. I hear some background. Doing great. Thanks nice, for having buddy. us. Hey, guys. Hey. Adam, Marguerite, how are you guys doing? Drew, hey. it's been a minute. How you doing? Yeah, buddy. How's everything? That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I love the conversation you guys were just having. I have so much to say about that. Let's get in. Let's just jump right in. So, yeah. like, this is this is right up your wheelhouse. I, let's if, if maybe you guys can start. Um, let's give a little background real quick. Maybe both of you guys can introduce yourselves and then talk a little bit about what Blockade does, and then so we can give everyone some context, and then let's dig into this whole sector. Sounds good, Marguerite. You want to go first? Can you guys hear me? Okay. Yeah, a little a little, a little low, low, a little low, but. 
I can go first. I'll go first. Okay. okay. So, um, so I'm Adam B. Levine. Um, I've been uh, working in disruptive technology now for about 15 years. Um, uh, before AI, my focus was on blockchain. I did a show called Let's Talk Bitcoin with Andreas Antonopoulos. I built the Coindesk Podcast Network. I went down all the rabbit holes and I was one of the earliest users of non-currency tokens at scale. Started building with them in 2014 and had the largest projects for a couple of years uh, at a very, very early time. So um, I transitioned over to AI a couple of years ago at this point because uh, because blockchain was kind of bogging down uh, with all sort of the, the commoditization that comes with that and kind of all the challenges that are there. And I really like this kind of frontier technology zone and that's really what AI was. So AI in the last two years while I've been working full hardcore on this project has gone from hey, here's you know a terrible image that it took us five minutes to generate that's tiny and doesn't actually sh look like anything to now we're generating 6K you know, full skyboxes with 360 degree wraps in over the course of just a couple of seconds. So it's been utterly wow. wild and somehow faster than blockchain was. And blockchain was pretty darn fast relative to anything I'd experienced before. Uh, just jumping into the conversation you guys were just having, I have to comment on this, I apologize. Yeah. No, um, you message us, you're like, I have a great answer to this, bring me up. I, I, I love it. I, again, like, I think that Michael's answer was right on for what's coming in the near term, but I think that the thing that I'm really excited about is what happens after that. Um, and, oop, just, Ooh, we just lost your face, but we still hear uh, you. I don't know what's going on. Well, anyways, uh, so, but but what I really think is happening, uh, Drew, is closer to what you were talking about. And I think it's even more than that. I think that really what this winds up being at the end is we don't need to figure out what the story is that we're telling before we tell it. We can figure that out as we go in yeah. every situation. Yeah. And that is such a fundamental, just like reversal of how things work today, right? Today, mm -hmm. our, our lives are really governed by what can we pull off? Not what can we imagine, but what can we actually pull off? And pulling something off, even that's not ambitious, a lot of times it's pretty hard, a lot harder than it looks like from the outside. And that, 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 that difficulty of pulling something off is what's evaporating in front of our eyes right now. Um, and so there's a bunch of different ways that this is manifesting. We have our own very specific ideas around kind of what world building is gonna look like, but there's a bunch of different approaches to it. And they're all frankly pretty brilliant. Um, and so that's that's really where I think we're going with this and kind of the, the medium term is just whether you're talking about a movie or a novel or a game or whatever, you will make it up and it won't feel like you're making it up, but it will be unique to you as a result of that. Drew, I also think there's a really interesting conversation to have there about um, about uh, like the, the tokenization and the asset side of it, because yeah. what you laid out could be right. Or it could be that we're entering a true abundance economy, at which point all of the, the, the ways that we think about these things change fundamentally. And I think that that still supports a very NFT-focused future, but it's a, really, it's a really important kind of nuance there. So Marguerite's back. Oh, Marguerite, please. Well, I wanted to uh, bring this full circle to when, uh, so Adam and I have been friends for a long time. And I was previously operating, um, we were Blocky Games founded in 2018. And when I met Adam uh, with his new developments he'd had around AI, just speaking to the ease of use. Um, so content creation for game developers is notoriously one of the largest challenges, especially the amount of content you have to produce within uh, short timelines, um, but the, along the complexities of all the other development pipelines that game developers have to uh, deal with. So anyways, when I had some of this AI technology in front of me and able to create game assets, and Drew, I think you were a part of that st story early on last year, um, so we trained it on our game art and then it was like this faucet of content with the parameters specifically, you know, that we needed in order for us to have these immediately riggable in, in some instances, instances, game characters, but then also asset creation on the fly. So like if you're in game, having real time generation for our assets that had never been conceived before populating on screen with a true like UGC co-creation opportunity for our user. Uh, that falls in line with the game design rules. So like, for me, that was just an oh my God moment, sort of this same um, or as big as the first time I sent a Bitcoin way back in 2014, just yeah. kind of like, oh my God, I can't unsee this. And I was so excited. Uh, you were one of the first people I ran to and I was like, you just won't believe what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <I remember. laughs> yeah. And I so remember. then going forward there with um with the experimentations that we had and the R&D and uh, what we 
stumbled into at Blockade was just how, how many developers can we help in as little time as possible in the fastest use case we can think of. Um, and so we stumbled into that path. But anyways, we've been really excited about that narrative and uh, ease of use, unlocking creativity, making it so people, you know, these thoughts they have in their head, how fast can they get them out? You don't have to have all of these expensive failed game devs who, you know, <laughs> now that they're going to have Unity fees for every game downloaded, you know, like yeah. the market's really tough out there as a creative. Uh, always no, has been. Um, no, doubt, no doubt about it. And here, here's a question for you. So like what, what was really impressive for me personally is like as a non-technical, um, as like as someone who's not an engineer, I'm able to accomplish things using AI's interfaces, the, the, the chat or uh, the chat based, being able to create art, create pro create content, create, I'm, I'm able to do so much even as a non-technical uh, individual. So what I'm curious about is for the, the, in the user generated content world that you guys live in, is the game, how, how, what is the leap between, you know, non-technical and technical needs and how much are we bridging there and how far can you get? And like, and then where are the handoffs? I, I, I can, I have something to say about this, but Adam, you go first. Oh um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, um, the short answer is right now, not much. And mm -hmm. in the not too distant future, essentially everything. <laughs> so, I mean, like, uh, like right now we're at a point with a lot of different parts of the stack where you can get to 75% of the quality that you need to, to really kind of get there, but there's still handwork required for basically everything. That's something that we've kind of at Blockade tried to tackle by basically most of the, like there's the core part of the product, which is like make better environments faster, right? And then over here is the making sure you get what you want part of that. And that's that's super important because it can be really powerful, but not really get you there. Uh, mm -hmm. So like we're talking about like export formats where we're turning things into HDRI so they can be used for lighting. An expert knows how to do this, but mm -hmm. a novice doesn't know how to do this. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of where the, these tools are right now. But, but again, like as we move into this future, I think it's just going to be everything. And I think it's going to happen so fast that it's going to be hard to kind of comprehend. Wow. Wow. I wanted to add to that. So um, when we first uh, went on this adventure of this AI tool platform, um, we were considering about this new idea of a casual developer. Uh, somebody that doesn't have that technical prowess, but how do they have the ability to uh, experiment? So that was the point of our web app as being this broad funnel. So essentially we're using it as our like acquisition uh, method. And then we have like our SDKs in various places for the uh, more technical developer. But in this process, I think this is what you found with a lot of the generative AI tools, especially the visual asset tools, is that there's this huge market that's unaccounted for of that type of user that yep. has surprised not only founders, but also investors. So like, for example, us being an environment uh, generator, you have numerous investors early on being like, but you know, what market really is there for that? Mm -hmm. And so it was month two after we had released our product that we had half a million users generating. Wow. And so like wow. to date, we've had 8 million uh, plus skyboxes generated by users on the web app. Wow. And so, and of that, just lots of sign up, lots of growth. And we've been tracking who these different users are, but there's this unaccounted market for, um, so it's not just people creating 2D art, right? Like there's, there's all these other sectors. We have people creating environments for like hospital relaxation rooms. All these wow. use cases you wouldn't think about. I was just about to ask you about the use cases. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so can, can you guys talk a little bit about, so like, you know, so everyone can start to imagine, because again, as you know, I, I would say our audience here are a lot of, a, a lot of angel investors and, and VCs and, and, and founders that are trying to figure out, you know, where the opportunity is in this market, in this space. So can we bring, can you bring it back to like, Hey, here's the, the, this is the technology that we're innate, we're enabling you with this technology, but what are you actually, what are you enabling people to do? Like, what are some of the use cases that you're seeing? And has anything really kind of like shot? you in a way well the hospital one did did surprise us but um i would say that there's in this sense um with the creative application you're seeing a lot of people being able to use their own creativity for an application purpose for a small business or a small startup that you wouldn't have first realized but we're seeing that in about four different major buckets um you're seeing that in education 
So I didn't realize, uh, so coming from the game space, I didn't realize the education sector and how profitable the higher education uh, distribution networks are. And so like we're working with one of those being bundled up, wrapped into their offerings that are distributed across all of their Microsoft, Apple, and Google offerings for their educators. And then you have um, so technical manufacturing, uh, industrial design, having these environments in which they can create digital twins and doing real-time uh, simulations. That's where we were featured at SIGGRAPH by the, uh, the CEO of NVIDIA, which is pretty cool uh, to be included in that. And then um, we have the gaming sector, clearly. And then another one that was kind of a surprise to us was virtual production. And it, you know, it shouldn't have been a surprise to us because of uh, content like The Mandalorian and other uh, sectors that have moved into cutting costs that way through virtual wow. production in real time cinematography um, instead of doing the post um, doing the post editing. So with that, like we're opening up, we bundled with a Unreal Engine developer who specializes in virtual production, giving us additional tooling that we didn't like plan for the product and what we had designed uh, within Unreal Engine. And then they have partners in Asia and lots of different studios. So I guess like the, the getting this distribution support was somewhat surprising. We were thinking that we would do direct integrations into some of the major 3D software engines or, or platforms like Blender uh, being in Roblox uh, in which we have these different relationships, but having all of these smaller successful businesses or medium tier with large distribution channels. So one of them also being Digistar who has 700 planetariums across the world that wants to use these environments for on-demand generation. Um, you know, these are really successful businesses. So it, it was fun to fill a niche or a gap. And in the gaming sector, you see a lot of this in mixed reality, AR, VR, um, lots of VR developers who don't have any money, uh, but really need content. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, is VR a big use case for you guys as you've seen it so far? Yeah. It is a big use case, yeah. A lot of um, people preparing for the, for the Apple headset and then also uh, working with some of the Quest teams uh, or meta teams, the, like the Horizon team who um, handle, and then like coming into Quest, setting your home screen generation, uh, they they facilitated support for our for our content. So um, yeah, I would say, and then we've had like people develop peer-to-peer co-creation generation. Um, and this only becomes bigger with the more utility we add, you know, when we have, start adding the 3D technology. So right mm-hmm. now uh, we generate depth maps on uh, image creation, which is unique to us, but it allows developers to push into mesh, like for 3D, for terrain. Um, but we are going to be like doing this all in one generation. So mesh coming at initial generation and then moving on with the additional utility you can get from that single generation, which is really computationally efficient uh, mm-hmm. compared to today's approaches in uh, 3D development. Um, I have a quick question. So I know, I feel like the future of gaming is going to be a lot of these gaming studios giving the ability back to the end user to be able to use AI to create their own world. So how do you differentiate yourselves amongst other kind of gaming studios to be able to really make sure that, because I think it's just going to be obvious that everybody will use this uh, in the future. So yeah, curious to know how you guys are differentiating and looking at it differently. Do you mean differentiating like with other generative AI uh, tools or like yeah, we're not an engine. We're not an engine, mm-hmm. uh, although yeah. we kind of look like an engine. Um, yeah, I mean, we we basically see ourselves as not competing with that type of user. We see ourselves as the power company that's behind that mm-hmm. type of user who is then helping them to do the thing that they want. A couple of things I wanted to note. Um, so the the first is that the was perhaps shouldn't have been surprising, but was surprising was that we lowered the barrier to creating this type of content so much that it unlocked new types of use cases and new types of users. You guys dropped out there. Did you lose me or was I with you? Okay, great. Terrific. Uh, yeah, so so that the, the level of that has been enormous. We built this product. We're like, we're building this for people who are creating games. And that was not the largest user of the tool right away. It was all of these weird, unconventional companies who, if you tried to put them into a variety of buckets, Marguerite did an admirable job there, but a lot of them don't really fit in those buckets. They fit into this weird bucket that didn't exist, which is people who, if you could give them easily and cheaply an environment, would want an, uh, an environment that they could control. And so if, for an example, like a research company, 
that mm -hmm. has a report that they want to present and has a pull quote, right? Typically, this would just be a little thing, but if they mm -hmm. have a, an environment that they created that fits this and has a nice bokeh effect, right, then they suddenly have a much higher, like, uh, aesthetic appeal presentation than lacking that. It's almost and, like when, you, when you're talking, it's making me think about like PowerPoint in a way. Yeah, exactly. PowerPoint has millions of different types of customers, different types of use cases, all trying to present information in the most effective way possible. Exactly. And and so again, like in a, in a world where, where the process for creating a custom skybox is what it is without our tool, which is a couple of days of work, at least a couple hundred dollars, and that's assuming you're doing it the cheap way, right? Like most of these companies just won't do that. They'll have, you know, like a nice background that they got mm -hmm. or something that's stock. But if it's something that literally just costs, you know, like a couple of cents per generation, then it means that you can have a custom experience for essentially everything. Um, so that that was interesting to me and something that I think is true in sectors beyond ours, right? I think that again, what AI is doing is it's lowering the barrier to entry to do a thing. And as yeah. a result of that, the number of people who want to do that thing and who will do that thing and would pay to do that thing goes up exponentially, uh, you know, in kind of contrast. Um, I, I have a question for you guys. So so um, I, got, I got to play a little bit with the, the text to image skybox, which is super impressive. And I'm wondering, I've got this is a question kind of like, have you tried these three things? How do they have, how they work for you? Um, so like, have, have you tried using uh, the image to image and in painting tools with this? Like, have you tried control net? How, how have those tests gone? You know, like I'm, I'm really curious, like if, when artists get to like kind of paint in the sky and like use their own reference art, like what the experience could be like for this type of thing. Yeah, so um, so uh, without getting too deep into the technicals, we do use ControlNet in a couple of different ways in a couple of different places. Uh, we use it for our sketch tool. We also use it for our remix tool, and we can have a couple of other what, tools. Can you explain what ControlNet is for anyone who doesn't know? Yeah, so ControlNet, uh, I'm, I'm actually going to give a terrible explanation here. ControlNet basically is a way that allows the AI to use uh, inputs other than text as a way to at least partially or completely guide what you're going to create. So, uh, so one of the things that Michael asked about was like the ability to use your own image. That's something that we've been doing internally for a long time. And we've been terrified about putting it out for other people before we got monetization turned on because the number of people who are going to do terrible things with it and upload porn or something like that is like non-trivial. Yeah. So yeah. you got it. You have to, we, so we had to wait until we got the paid accounts in so we could, we could gate that a little bit better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, it's incredible. It's magical. And again, like the, the, the tool as it stands right now is currently version 0 0.7. So we're technically about three major releases of features away from us considering this a 1.0 release. But even as it stands today, it has features in there like prompt enhancer, where if you toggle that on, then you can type in whatever dumb thing you want. My classic one is a meadow with, you know, wildflowers and a castle in the distance. That typically generates pretty good results, but you turn prompt enhancer on, it sends it to chat GPT optimizes it for uh for like how what an expert level prompt is you know that our ml guys do sends it back and then generates that automatically and it just i mean like so it already has a bunch of these quality of life improvements but there's still so much more to do on it the, the other thing that i just want to kind of convey here is that all of this is effectively a magic trick right when you're looking at ai you are looking at something that is skipping all of the hard parts and all of the precursor work and everything that it would typically take to be able to get to that point. And what we do is even more of a magic trick because you go into one of these skyboxes and you look around and it looks like it's 3D, but it's not really 3D. It's actually 2D that we have 3D characteristics baked into it. But where we go from there is that if we can make you think that it looks 3D, then we can actually make it 3D. And that's where we are in the stack right now. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is kind of this, this whole play around you know, skyboxes and backgrounds and all of that stuff actually is just kind of like a, a shortcut that we took to get us to this fundamentally different form of uh, you know, procedural generation that rather than just being an arrangement technology is, is an additive technology, is a generative technology. And that's where we think kind of all this stuff is really going over the medium term. Okay, a couple, question, a couple quick questions here because um, we don't have too much time left. So I want to get a couple questions out. One I want to ask about as founders of an, uh, within an AI company, what 
would you, for people that want to jump in and start businesses and um, and leverage AI in different ways, like what advice would you give to, or, or where do you both what what advice or opportunities do you see as most like greenfield for people to jump in and see uh, if there's if there's a if there's a space for them to build businesses within this area? Oh, that's a tricky one. I think because um. I think because of the pace of the technology and where it goes that you have so many people automating out different processes. So the minute you think you automated a shortcut, that might be obsolete within the addition of something else that's way more valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so I think uh, I saw recently um, an investment into a game studio. And this was one of the things that we had wanted to do originally, but using using your own game vehicle as a place to automate for UGC content creation. I think if you're going to go after something that you know could be successful, such as a game independently is successful, and then adding in the automation uh, through different AI tooling, so using ChatGPT or using um, gen generative AI as part of the procedural generation combination within your game to help with endless worlds um, as a part of your workflow. So I think it's still important to have a viable business as a uh, in, in one like on one side, and then the other side to then uh, basically use AI to make it more efficient and optimize, as opposed to maybe uh, going after a whole revolutionary AI tool just out of the gate. Um, right. Unless you have deep, just industry knowledge on a certain pain point yeah. that you mm -hmm. could do just as a tool that could be viral and useful for everybody on day one. Yeah, I have three uh, thoughts here. Uh, the first is that it's a race. So moving as fast as possible is probably the yeah. most important thing. <clears throat> Two, nobody knows anything, and there are, in reality, no sacred cows. The ways, uh, one of the things that's been most surprising to me over the last six months is the number of, of concepts that I've seen that when you look at the kind of state-of-the-art, well-funded companies that have been out there working on these things using AI for the last several years, you know, three or five years, they a lot of times have products that at a fundamental level are inferior to a little tiny one person, not a company, just a dude building a thing. Because the dude building the thing doesn't have any uh, like a sunk cost into it. So they, there's no downside to them doing the absolute most logical way given the current facts on the ground. And it's really hard for bigger companies to pivot towards that. And then the other thing is that if it's, if it's an opportunity that's obvious to you and you're not an utter expert in the field, then probably it's an opportunity that's obvious to lots of people and you're six to 12 months behind. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, point. but deep expertise is really, really valuable because it can give you insight into these opportunities that a lot of people who are out there just building an AI company don't really understand at a personal level. So those three things I think will keep you pretty safe, but it's a, it's a treacherous, ridiculous environment to try to build anything in. So just appreciate that you're whole not going to sleep well. Whole market is, uh, yeah. This whole market is for all startups is feeling the same. Yeah. Okay. And then my other question for you is going to be this, um, and for this is for both of you. Um, let's put an, let's put your angel investor hats on. What, um, what, what types of um, investments in the, within the AI sector broadly um, are you most excited about? Would you be looking for? Um, do you think others should be looking for as well? Where do you think there's a really um, interesting investment opportunity when it comes to AI? Um, so I guess I, I think about the, um, the, these tools and how they work together. So people, instead of uh, what we saw a lot with blockchain, Web3, or like in gaming, you see a lot of closed platforms um, and, and someone trying to just dominate a market uh, Unreal style. But in reality, I think having a very modular uh, tool or, or development system that fits in nicely across, uh, that's portable, that uh, for us, we wanted to be that for environment. And then there's other folks like NPCs, characters, and, and then making these various bets on these like modular uh, development platforms that are meant to be Lego blocks, essentially, for the entire ecosystem and choosing your horse that way. Uh, I think that I think that's how I would look at it, as opposed to someone who's promising me, like you probably saw in the blockchain sector, I'm going to be an entire blockchain ecosystem and we're going to do everything. And, mm -hmm. you know, that didn't work out too well for most companies. Yeah, actually, just a quick follow up there. Have you seen anything interesting in the at the um, in the intersection of blockchain and AI? I haven't yet, but I'll let you know if I do. But yeah. we actually, with our expertise in that space, 
we yeah. actually have thought about solutions in a lot of ways for how we would bring that through in the future, such as ownership uh, and, and being able to have marketplaces where you have proof of creation, long tail uh, revenue across those creators and data sets. How could those be de decentralized? Yeah. So um, anyways, Adam. Yeah, just real quick. Uh, first would be unique approach. Tons of people out there who are like, oh my God, AI is an opportunity and doing something that basically a bunch of other people are doing. That's a, that's a bad sign to me right now. I like AI projects that use other AIs, uh, but don't necessarily get locked into them or rely on them. I think the future world that's coming is one that's very recursive and one that's very, uh, you know, like, like I love um, like, a, like a tool that allows you to talk to an AI to better work with a different AI, right? So an AI giving you advice and helping you craft prompts for another AI, brilliant. I love stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then also just appreciate how powerful the open source space is uh, in this particular world. It's cleaner than crypto also because there's no money. And so because of that, it makes the open source side of it, there's no speculation. It's just people building. And the stuff that they're building on the LLM side, for example, uh, Falcon 180B came out uh, recently. 180B is somewhere between three point, uh, ChatGPT 3.5 and ChatGPT 4, depending on what you're looking at it for. It is fully open source, commercially usable, um, and can be fine-tuned and trained. And again, like you look at how much money OpenAI has put into that or Google has put into their various projects, you're a company that needs an LLM that's powerful. You can literally just use this. And this is the latest version. And it's, I think, wow. a six times improvement from the prior one, which came out a month ago. So, mm -hmm. I mean, like the scale at which this thing is moving and the if you get stuck training your own base models, you've already lost the game uh, at, yeah. at this point. Yeah. Uh, okay. To wrap it up, I know we had a question from the audience. I want to make sure that uh, we asked. So do you feel like AI will cause people's skills to become stagnant? And as a result of this, basically growth in the sector may slow down. And as a result, people in the field no longer will be breaking the mold with innovation. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that there's, there's two sides. One is that it really is real that skills degrade when you have access to AI and that the way that you think about doing something changes fundamentally. And that's not always positive, right? It's really easy to be like, oh, this is easier. Let me spend a half hour optimizing, you know, this thing that would have taken me 15 minutes if I just sat down and done it, but I was trying to get the AI to do it for me, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, I think there's a lot of challenges around um, that. What was the actual question? Sorry. I, I guess it basically AI will slow down the growth of like uh, do you think people's skills will be stagnant because AI is taking over for them? I think that it's I think that um that the answer to that is yes, that will happen, but also our capabilities on an individual basis will still go up exponentially relative to where they are today. But it is true that again, it's just it's like GPS, right? It's like mm -hmm. if you rely on GPS to get you everywhere, you forget how to navigate uh, you know, in more traditional senses, that is very much going to happen here. But do we really want to go back to a world where GPS isn't the norm? Probably not. It was a schlep, you know, to do it the other way. And I think that it's going to be the same thing here uh, on the on the the upper end side on the in terms of like, how fast will these things improve? They are very much going to continue to improve very fast over the next couple of years. We will eventually hit. Uh, some type of inflection point where all of the low hanging fruit has been picked. But again, if what happens over the next three years is the open source community continues to grow and expand, then maybe it won't slow down. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a wild world and it's almost impossible to predict what's going to happen in six months, much less three years. Awesome. I, just, I wanted to add though, that I think all of this is still for some time going to be dri still driven by human creativity. So it doesn't matter if you have these various tools, the person asking the right questions and the, the thought processes to end with a really good result um, and use case is going to be just human led. Um, and I don't think, I don't think that's avoidable. So um, anyways, like I'm very excited to see people be successful faster. I think that that is very inspiring and, um, and, and get to be able to make a dream product uh, cheaper without having to raise millions of dollars, but be crafty and creative. So I'm excited for that feature. It is very good news and big, big news. All everything that's coming is big news for indies. So that's that to me is really exciting. I think we'll see we'll see more creativity from humans rather than less with this, at least for the foreseeable future. Awesome. 
I want to note real quick, um, when you asked before about both in the questions of for investors and then founders, um, mm -hmm. I think something that would be helpful as far as getting up to speed on what is the latest and greatest or coolest uh, and what people are playing with. So there are some open source communities, like our developers helped found a community called the forum. And there's, um, I'm sure Adam could throw in a couple others, but if you go to their actual discords and hang out and hear what they're listening to, it reminds me of the day of Bitcoin talk back in 2014, where all the veteran OG uh, cypherpunks were posting threads of various projects and things that they were tracking that was informative uh, and, uh, and formative <laughs> from the beginning yeah. of my career. And I think we're at the similar phases with uh, these new companies, like these very talented developers will go on to spin up very successful startups and you'll want to be there. Uh, at ground zero when they do it. It's awesome. Awesome, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This is episode three, where we're stoked to have you guys. We're going to continue to grow this, continue to record every Wednesday at 3 p.m. But we really appreciate having both of you who are portfolio companies and also Michael Gold coming in as a guest host. And we're super excited to have you guys. So appreciate you guys making the time. Thanks thank so much, so everybody. Much. This has been a Red Beard Ventures production.